You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 53, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He's Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben crazy day on the timeline it's overreaction wednesday how you doing brother man what what a good day to be alive mike what a great day (laughs) let let me tell you why today is a great day to be alive because of the people in the world who have no no patience zero patience for things that are just stupid i work with two of the strongest in michael (laughs) kist and blg may he forever reign in terms of like the second stuff starts to hit the fan, like before we even devolve to the worst level, Kist and BLG are already immediately in the slack going like, listen, everybody on the face of the planet is completely dumb as rocks. And I just sit there and I just feed into it. I'm like, guys, you see this? Guys, you see this? I'm just like sending tweets. I'm like, guys, what about this? And I just watch them get super angry, like off, like off, an, off a starter cap. Oh my goodness. It's, I have a joy on these days. I'm like a pig in slop. I just, I, I, I love it. I bask in it. See, now I, I take umbrage with the word angry because I actually enjoy the combative nature right, of Right, right, no, Twitter. no, it's true. Like, it's 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 performative anger. Right. It's just like, all right, well, you guys are going to be idiots, so I'm going to make you seem like it, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about why that is happening because we may have to change the whole tenor and topic of this show because normally this would be our all 22 film review of the Cowboys and Eagles game last week, but we have news that's breaking and will likely continue to break about Carson Wentz and his injury status. Ian Rappaport reporting today that Wentz was not expected to play on Sunday against the Rams due to lingering back issues. He's been on the injury report before for these issues with the back spasms, but now it's being said, according to Rappaport, that he may miss the rest of the season. Right now, he's the only one saying this. Now, of course, Ian Rappaport has been 
wrong about many things concerning the Eagles, and he could just be gassing us up over nothing. And if he is, he's doing a darn good job because everybody is freaking out with the takes. But as the AP reports, two sources close to the situation say that once hasn't even been ruled out for Sunday. So we're going to see what happens from here. Ben, obviously, everyone is being calm and measured in their takes about this. Uh, But I prefer a logical take. And if you apply the Occam's razor approach to this type of issue, I like your theory that this isn't a new injury that sprung about independent of everything else. It's that it's a part of him coming back from his ACL and LCL surgery. And others on Twitter have chimed in with their experiences with back issues after similar issues. I've had my own issue. I, I shattered my tibia. And I had ligament issues well after that on my other side. So this story is still developing. But Ben, could you detail that thought process a little bit more for the gentle listeners about what you were talking about with what's going on with this back? So it's very simple. It starts here. I have no idea what's happening. It's very important to remember, right? (laughs) The most most important thing to remember in all these circumstances is like, a player got injured. Okay, well, number one, I have no idea what's happening. I don't, right? Because I'm getting this information third hand from a source that may or may not be credible you know what i mean like it's this we don't really know anything so what do we do know well we're positive cars once towards acl last year i'm sure that happened i watched it happen i cried through it and i you know went through the five stages of depression and then won a super bowl trust me i can remember that very clearly if you'll hold on i am yes jason lock and fora has reported that carson went towards his ACL confirmed last year. Towards ACL. <laughs> i also uh you know like what I, I what I think I know pretty well, at least I hope I do, is uh, quarterback mechanics. It's part of my job to know kind of how quarterbacks throw the football. And I can tell you that, yeah, Carson Wentz is not stepping into his throws very well, which is a problem that he had before the injury in North yeah. Dakota State. It was a problem that he was better at in 2017. And now after the injury, it's becoming worse of a problem. Is it because he can't really put weight on his front foot? I don't know about that. Is it because it still feels uncomfortable? Maybe. Uh, you know, I don't really know how his recovery is going. I'm, you know, I've, again, I do not have this information. Is it because he's just regressing because he didn't have another training camp full of mechanics and practice and drills? Hey, maybe. Let's remember that I don't know what's going on, right? So this is like, we're, we're, we're now like, we're at like the limit of the information I have. I know he tore his ACL and I know that his mechanics look a little bit wonky. Now, when we talk about quarterback mechanics, quarterback mechanics are built so as to throw the ball with power and with accuracy, right? That's the only reason they matter. It's not like you have to look pretty while you're doing it. And so, like, take a Patrick Mahomes, for example. Mahomes' accurate uh, mechanics are garbage. They're super bad. Now, he's improved a lot of the stuff that caused accuracy drain in Texas Tech. It, he has, objectively speaking. But a lot of stuff he does in Kansas City is still crazy and it's still not the way it's supposed to look but the thing is he's still generating a ton of torque which is how he's getting power and his arm slotting is still pretty consistent and he can make throws from like every arm slot so his accuracy is still pretty much where it was he's not the most accurate quarterback in the world but it's still like you know obviously incredible especially deep areas of the field so when we look at Carson and we say, okay, well, the, you know, he's sailing some deep throws, right? Well, he's not really stepping into them, but he is generating a lot of torque in his upper body. And so is there a chance that he's putting too much stress on his back because he's not stepping into his throws as well? Obviously, your back is part of your core. It's going to help you fire your hips and generate torque. You know, like I can talk myself into that. So I said, okay, like, you know, obviously a knee stability issue is going to have a ton of repercussions up the body. There's no yeah. doubting that. And I know that Carson's torquing a lot into his throws because he's not stepping into them and that also recruits the back this is the information i have so i said okay maybe maybe they're linked right i don't think it's unreasonable to say a player who apparently reportedly has been dealing with injury issues for a while 
has linked injury issues. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's been on the report since week seven about the back. Oh, he's been coming back from an ACL tear. He only started playing in week three. To think that those things are independent is kind of silly, in my opinion, right? <laughs> like, it's just like this, like, so that's like what I know. And then that's the deductive reasoning that I've done. And I could be completely wrong, but this is like, this is how much light we have on the situation. It's a sliver and everything else we have is kind of, you know, uh, one of the 50 shades of gray, I suppose. Oh, but anyway, uh, so <laughs> that's, that's where my thought process comes with the knee thing. When it comes to how serious this injury is, it don't have that information. It does ring to me very much. So like, Hey, now that we've lost to the Cowboys, well, let's reassess how much risk we want to put with Carson, which there is the, the sentiment out there that. You know, it's a bad look. You know, the Eagles still have a chance to make the playoffs if they beat the Rams. I mean, yeah. But also, <laughs> they're probably not going to beat the Rams. And, and even still if they needed do... still a whole host of other things to happen. Yeah, exactly. They, they, so, like, I'll put it to you this way. Maybe we'll go into Sunday as, like, a game-time decision. Whoa! And then we'll see what happens in Minnesota versus Miami. Because if Miami wins that game, Eagles' playoff chances get a lot better. If Minnesota wins that game, Eagles' playoff chances get a lot worse. And maybe, you know, Miami pulls one out, and all of a sudden Carson's back feels a little better. Gets gets a couple <laughs> shots. Pre-game, he's ready to go. Uh, maybe Minnesota wins it, and it's like, ah, no, I don't know about this. You know, maybe that's the situation we're in. How much risk are you willing to put in a guy who uh, obviously ended last season with injury, and you could potentially be putting him a setback if he gets hit in, a ba- in his back the wrong way? You know, how much risk are you willing to put at a guy versus how much of a chance do you have at making the playoffs? So, you know, we could be in that sort of a situation. The fact that this is going to sound weird. The fact that he's been on the injury report with the back thing since week seven and eight is good, in my opinion, because it indicates to me that this is like a a pain management, you know, attrition of the season, still recovering sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And not like, you know, he got hit in the in the fourth quarter of the Dallas game and we didn't notice it. And oh no, now like it's like right. a new injury. I think that is like a little bit better news. So that's where I am on it uh, in terms of like what we should be expecting for the final three weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think people are overlooking that aspect that he has been on the report dealing with those spasms. And I agree that that is a good thing, something that he's been playing through for a while now. And uh, he's played very well in stretches, but he's also been dealing with this recovery as we knew that he would be. And if this were a super serious thing, I think he would be ruled out earlier than this and they would have shut him down because obviously priority number one right now, if Carson is not healthy at all, you aren't playing him regardless of what your playoff hopes are because that's just that's, that just seems ridiculous you, to uh, me. You want to know what it actually is? What's that? Oh, boy. So old Dougie, old wily, clever, foxy Doug, saw the struggles that Georgia had dealing with the quarterback two of Alabama, and he said, hmm, Ooh. hmm maybe I'd make, you make prepare the for Rams prepare for two quarterbacks. Hmm. Hmm, interesting, <laughs> which is nonsense completely. But I'm here. I'm here for Nick Foles starting against the Rams and the Eagles quickly go up 14 to three and the takes start oh. flying. Like, wow. Eagles offense looks better than it ever did with Carson Wentz. I would love it. I would love it. And then I would immediately delete Twitter and destroy my phone and never talk to anybody else ever again. Yeah, I mentioned this on the QB Sco show. I put it up on Twitter. I, I want to make sure that people respond to this out there. If you are a Nick Foles truther that believed 
that Nick Foles should have started from day one, I need you to go look at my timeline. There's a very specific tweet that you're looking for, and it includes the <laughs> Scarlet F, because I have something I want to pin on your clothing so you could be identified later on. So make sure you get that out there. And speaking of Nick Foles, Zach Rosenblatt reporting or tweeting out that uh, Nick Foles broke the huddle today, was called upon by his teammates to do so. Zach Ertz said that, they wanted him to know that they have all the confidence in the world in his ability to lead this team. And I mean, again, this is a Super Bowl MVP. We we get it. Like people are going to be confident in the guy and they're going to show confidence in the guy. He's done it before. But mm-hmm. Ben, my first take on this specific instance was the fact that somebody is going to spin this into Zach Ertz trying to curry favor with Nick Foles so that Nick Foles only looks his way. And when Zach Ertz gets 12 targets on the day against the Rams, we can continue this narrative that we're force-feeding the the ball to Zach Ertz, and it's actually bad for the team. Your thoughts? Well, this reminds me that there were stats I wanted to pull about Ertz's game against the Cowboys that I forgot to, so now I'm pissed. (laughs) Eight targets, five catches, 40-something yards? No, it's it's, it's different than that. I will find them, and then we'll talk about them in like 10 minutes in the middle of some other conversation. Let's move on to the next topic until I pull them up. Okay, so as we move on to the next topic, I think we've dealt with dealt with this Wednesday. Thing. We're recording at like 4 p.m. on Wednesday, so if we're late with any news, we're just being honest with what we know and we what we don't know, which other people obviously aren't, and they're freaking out. But we're we're going to get into some all 22 film review with this Eagles Cowboys game. Unfortunately, we had to go watch this in all 90 plays of the Cowboys offense because that's how much they were on the field on Sunday. But keeping it with the offense, we'll we'll keep it there. Uh, Ben, we asked for more play action from under center, given the larger use Mm -hmm. of Josh Adams, also to help with protection and get Wentz on the move where he was six for seven in a touchdown the last three weeks that I charted. Instead, we get 16.7% play action in the game that was relatively tight for the duration. And all told, they still protected protected him fairly well. About 27% pressure rate is what I saw. And now they're saying he was only sacked two times. But one, I would definitely argue, was a sack. That was the fumble lost at the end of the first half. And we should talk about this play because my Twitter was lighting up over this one. And there was an, even an assist from analyst and former quarterback Dan Orlovsky who confirmed some of what I saw. So second quarter, there's 59 seconds left. The Eagles come out in their standard trips right with Ertz slightly detached to the left with Byron Jones on him. This coverage was tricky because at first it looked like it was going to be like quarter, quarter, half, maybe even like cover three cloud with a, with a lock. But the Cowboys are in what looks to be according to Orlovsky. And I agree with this cover three buzz. Now this means that Byron Jones is going to match anything vertical by Ertz. And it's basically going to convert into man for him. He's also got help from the curl flat zone from Leighton Vander Esch, who is right there squeezing over that way to assist him. Ertz is the only route on the left. Again, trips right, Sproles is aligned to the right side, and he looks out to the flat on the right. So you got four targets going over on the right. So only one route developing here on the left side, which has Jones matching Ertz vertically on a corner route with LVE underneath. Wentz takes his three-step drop, and he is on Ertz. Like, he's looking him down. And yeah, he's doing his part at the same time to hold the safety on that side, which helps Nelson Aguilar uncover over the middle. So he takes these two small hitches before he turns his head back to Aguilar, who is down the field sitting in the middle waiting for a throw. The Cowboys also run a stunt on this. Trey, uh, Trey Thomas chimed in on this, and we can talk about that too in a sec. But regardless, pressure gets home as Wentz is going to deliver. Ball comes out. Cowboys recover. 
This play was like crack for those spouting the Wentz-Ertz bromance. And look, it's one play, and Wentz holds on to it a little too long. And Wentz hangs on Ertz a little too long. And he sucks! Sorry, it was an, I, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's, he's also holding the safety, as I mentioned before. But this whole process takes too long for Wentz, which in my opinion is the bigger issue here. And we have talked about it a ton yeah. on this show as it being one of his flaws. And now this flaw that's always been there is being morphed into this whole thing where Wentz only looks to Ertz. And while there may be a grain of truth to it, maybe just a little bit, I think it's being wildly overblown because of the two truths that we know. Number one, Wentz tends to hold on to the ball and wait for big things to uncover, which I think he was doing on this one. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Number two, Ertz is weapon one. He is going to get more first-rate progressions than others on this team. And at the end of the day, he's got to get to Aguilar quicker. Ben, what did you see on this one? Right now, so this is this. Is, I've pulled up my my stats now. My take. Very excited about this one. <laughs> and you, know, you hit it there when you said Earth is offensive weapon one. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you this question. It's going to sound stupid, but I want you to answer. Okay. What is a tight end? When you think of a tight end, you typically think of a player that lines up in line next to a tackle. Right. All right. So, <laughs> Zach Ertz. Right. Oh, you get you gonna give me alignment distribution? Because that'd be dope. No, so it's it's not. I, I don't have it by alignment distribution, which okay. we can go in and we can check that out. But I don't have it by alignment distribution because to me, that's where you're gonna that's where you're gonna call a tenant. You're gonna call an H back when you're sending the formation. It's gonna be up there. They're gonna be in line. They're gonna have a three point stance, whatever. But when we look at what the role is of the Philadelphia Eagles players, and to me, this is like fascinatingly interesting. Zach Ertz. 44 offensive snaps against the Cowboys. Now, 36 of those Mike's uh, pass plays. He goes down, he runs a route, all right? On eight of those, he run blocks. On zero, does he pass block, okay? So this, this, is, what, this is what Ertz did on the day. 36 routes, eight uh, pa- run blocks. That's 4.5 routes for every pass block. Mm-hmm. Alshon Jeffrey took 51 total snaps. More snaps than Ertz. <laughs> 38 routes, only two more than Ertz. 13. run blocks that's less than three routes for every run block all right are you ready for this nelson Aguilar, 49 total snaps more than zach ertz 35 pass routes which is one less than ertz 13 run blocks so again less than three pass routes for every run block and he had a pass block (laughs) he had a play where pff credited him with a pass block not only is zach ertz offensive weapon one he is more of a wide receiver than Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey by what they ask these players to do, right? So, Zach Ertz. So like this, this is why, like, when I say, like, when you think about how, how, like, how frustrating is it for you that the Eagles target Ertz the most? Well, it's like frustrating when you think of Ertz as a tight end. But the thing is, they don't play him like a tight end at all. He might line up like a tight end, but he never rarely to a far lesser degree than the Eagles, like two starting wide receivers. He significantly less does tight end things as compared to them. They do tight end things more than he does. So check this out. I'm pulling up slot performance on PFF here. 466 receiving snaps. 252 of those are coming from the slot. That's a 54%. Nelson Aguilar spends 58% of his snaps, his routes run, from the slot. Zach Ertz is a... And we love this term when Evan Ingram and OJ Howard and and all of them were coming out. Zach Ertz is a big slot that lines up in line every now and then. 
if we view him through that prism, it's much different. <laughs> right, exactly. My, like, Aguilar, Jeffrey are actually tight ends thing is a joke. But seriously, like, we just, we should just stop calling Zacharts a tight end. He's not a tight end. He doesn't play tight end. He lines up where tight ends usually line up. He does not pass block ever. Which Eagles don't ask their tight ends to do it very often, but they've asked Goddard to do it a couple of times every game. I can pull up Goddard's right now. We can check, but I'm sure they have. Yeah. And he barely runs block. He run blocks for every nine routes he runs. He run blocks two times. For every nine routes Alshon Jeffrey runs, he run blocks three times. That may not sound like a lot until you recognize that it's about a four to five play difference by the end of each game, which over a 16 game season is like 64 to 80 more routes that Jeffrey's running per run block. It's huge, <laughs> right? And so, like, obviously, like, like you know, like the Eagles, like, use nasty splits, and they, they use the, the wide receiver sniffer we've talked about, and they use jet float, and these guys, you know, that's how Aguilar and, and Jeffrey get credit with some of their blocks. But the reality yeah. is Zach Ertz isn't tight, is not a tight end. He's not. And this is something we even talked about when Dallas Goddard was drafted. You know, mm-hmm. Goddard's going to play a different role than Ertz because Ertz can't block, and Ertz is so good as a route runner. Ertz is a 250-pound wide receiver. And once you have the conception of him as a wide receiver, his target numbers don't seem like that big of a problem. And it'd be very interesting. We talk about, oh, like, Zach Ertz, like, you know, is like going to break the tight end reception record. It'd be very interesting to see where Zach Ertz's numbers are purely stacked up against wide receivers this year. And I'm, I, I'd be honest with you, he probably, like, you know... His depth of target probably sucks a little bit, and his yak is probably awful. But I'm sure he <laughs> operates very much so like a, I don't want to say Jarvis Landry, that's too bad, that's too low, but like a very like consistent middle of the field operating sort of a guy, whatever. Maybe I'll look up these stats while you're talking, because I never listen anyway. But the, the fact of the matter is, <laughs> we just, we just got to stop thinking about Ertz as a tight end. He's not. <laughs> he doesn't do tight end things. He's more slot receiver and wide receiver than he is tight end, for sure. You look at it through that prism, things are totally different. Which means totally changes. the Eagles will really never run 12 personnel ever because Earth doesn't, <laughs> doesn't even count. And my dreams are shattered. We come out in 12 personnel, we're in trips with a guy detached anyway. There's no one in line. Uh, very, <laughs> it's, yeah. So moving on from that, let, let's talk about this too, because there's something I really want to dig in on and get your opinion on. The okay. Eagles had a chunk run early in the running game against Dallas, but Dallas was really keyed in on our tells. And you could see that from the sniffer where Lawrence crashes. And when we talk about sniffer, we've mentioned it a lot on this show recently because they've started to run it in the last few weeks. It's that look where Nelson Aguilar motions and he's off the line in between the tackle and the tight end. So, Ben, I went back and looked at every single run from this alignment, and every single one of them were inside concepts. And last week Mm -hmm. against the Redskins, there is one rep where Preston Smith was able to crash down and make a run stop. Same went for Demarcus Lawrence in that one. Saw that film, said, yeah, I'm going to go do that because they're only running to the inside on this, and I can crash this and totally mess with their blocking scheme, and it did. They're asking Goddard to seal him, but he has no chance from where he is if Lawrence takes it upon himself to crash down hard on the line. It's just a lack of variety, and we got excited when they used play action with it against the Redskins for a nice chunk gain. So we thought that we would see like more boots, more nakeds, more things of that nature, right? We only saw it, like I mentioned before, 17% of the time, which is low, 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 low comparative to what they've been running and what you would think they would run coming into this. Ben, what are they doing? I mean, I don't have as much umbrage with it, and I'll tell you why. Because, and we talked about this in the preview show, number one, 
there was no way that you were going to be able to run outside on these guys. And we talked about this. And even I said it during the game, they try to run outside zone a couple of times, which doesn't work. Can't run outside on these guys. Goddard, or not Goddard, uh, Van Der Esch and, and, and Jalen Smith are too fast to flow, in my opinion. Those guys can absolutely fly. Uh, and if you can't get bodies on them, then you're in, in trouble. You want to run upfield on them. And Philadelphia had some success running early. First drive, Josh Adams had two you know, successful runs of 8 and 24 yards. Both of them power plays coming up inside. One was a trap, and the other was tackle wrap, I want right. to say. That was the right way to go about running on these guys. You knew that running on them wasn't going to be super successful, just in general. The Eagles got hot with it, uh, and then they moved away from it as they started to need to put some more points up on the board. You know, they were, you know, balanced. We talk about balance. They were balanced uh, for the first half, and yeah. they, they had, like, 37 offensive yards. You know what I mean? Like, this, this, you weren't going to be moving the ball very successfully in the running game. And everybody likes to talk about Josh Adams is like, six runs of 18 yards plus or more. Like, yeah, and then the rest of them aren't very good. <laughs> you can't, you know what I mean? Like it's a, It's not efficiency. It's not consistently yeah. working the running game well. You're getting a chunk gain, and you're getting right. like a gain of one. You're getting a gain of negative one, and then you're getting maybe like five yards. Yeah, it's not consistent enough. So I hear you. I want a more variation off those. Absolutely. I would have loved to have seen them come with creativity. I'm reminded of when Dallas, you know, almost firing Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan, came into Philadelphia and ran just a lot of, like, variation-looking stuff off what they typically do, and that creativity spurred them on kind of this big five-game winning streak now. What my main umbrage was, was I have no idea, and this is something that we also said in the preview show, I have no idea how you could watch this Cowboys defense coming into the game and be like, you know what's going to work? Screens and draws, baby. Because they tried to run, like, three screens and draws in the first half, and not a single one of them was successful. I just don't get it. Like, I don't, you, like, yeah, okay, like, it's uh, over-aggressive linebackers, you know, draw players, you can get them going. No, these guys are too, they're very big and they're very fast. Stop trying to attack them. Like, you know, stop trying to, like, fool them in space. It's not going to work. You know, first, uh, the first uh, sack for Carson Wentz, third and eight after he missed Goddard up the sideline. They try to run a screen and they end up running it directly into a twist. You know, Clement gets hit. It's a sack for Carson. And this, again, this is a third and eight when they're in near field goal range. And, and, and the obsession with running plays behind the line of scrimmage when they're in like wide field goal range on third down i just can't get my head around it i don't i i I wish i'll put it to you this way it would work really well if everybody ran the same third down defense that jim schwartz does where everybody bails back behind the sticks but here's the thing nobody else runs that because that's some nonsense and so it doesn't work you know what i mean like it would be great if i'm sure it works well in like scrimmage when jim schwartz is everybody 10 yards back and then they're trying to run um a quick Corey clement draw play and i think it's tyrone crawford slow plays that makes that play this that no that those plays were all very very unsuccessful against the cowboys coming into this game and the eagles were heavily relying on them in the first half they got away from them in the second half and helped them out tremendously um i can't tell you what i tried to figure it out i tried to like watch them through i can't figure out what the logic was besides the logic of, all right, we're near midfield, so this is when we do this. Like, that, I, I don't... That was the biggest disappointment for me. It wasn't yeah. so much them running out of the sniffer looks and out of the H-back looks, which they've been doing all season. Uh, the biggest disappointment for me from an offensive game planning perspective was why that they thought that 
they could get the Cowboys linebackers this time with these misdirection plays that simply haven't gotten them since the last time the Eagles played them. Ben, let's flip it to the defense because we've talked a lot about the offense this year, and I want to make sure that I give some some kudos and that we look at some things about this yeah. defense. You, you ready to apologize to Jimbo? Not really, no. I didn't think so. Okay, keep going. <laughs> so uh, I, I am ready to praise a couple of guys on this defensive line. Uh, ben, if you'll flip your book to third quarter, 258 remaining, it is 9-6 Dallas at this point. Oh, there's I know a, this play. <laughs> there is a three-play sequence here that's just brilliant by Brandon Graham and Michael Bennett. The defense had just given up some cake receptions, allowing tons of space on simple stuff. And the defensive line, thank goodness, steps up and ends the drive. So first play, it's the screen that Brandon Graham reads all day long as having none of it sits right there where zeke is second play and graham is so good at reading yeah, his this keys. is the this is the play i thought you first were sending me to but it's the second one tell me what you like about that play because he does this so much and he's so good in backside pursuit on these things firstly he keys the snap count really really well yeah. and he comes so he's on the back side or he's on the strong side of the set so dallas cowboys under center offset right with a tight end and so they got four blockers to the right of the center and then Elliott behind Prescott. And so Graham is slicing inside at the snap because behind him over the tight end, he does have Malcolm Jenkins. So he does have a player who will be forcing that uh, D gap if they get to uh, if they're coming to the outside. But it is like inherently risky because they have that fullback. And so you could really get yourself into a bind here asking Nate Gary to come over the top and make a play if they run strong side and I don't know if you've heard Nate Gary doesn't really come over the top and make plays very often so Graham leaps inside which you're like all right wait bad and then it's flow weak yeah heavy zone flow which maybe Graham saw something on tape maybe they've keyed in on this but anyway I think it's Rico Gathers who tries to block him that's obviously not going to go well fullback tries to get a piece Graham's over in head, ahead of him, and you can see Elliott in the hole. He gets a, a nice second-level block by Xavier Suofilo, the left guard. He's watching Kamu Grugier-Hill out the building. Nate Gary obviously has not been able to get past the right guard. Why would he have? That'd be uh, ridiculous to expect of him. This is daylight, right? Like This is like there's just the safety. To, there's not even the safety to be. Corey Graham is way aligned over Amari Cooper on the opposite hash. He bailed at the snap. This is six. And Elliot can see the, the the end zone from the 45. Yeah. And then he gets tackled by Brandon Graham, like, right as he hits the hole in backside pursuit. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a touchdown saving play, probably, from Graham. And when Elliot pops up, you can just kind of see him, like, dang, like, <laughs> darn. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> like, it's a fantastic pursuit play by Graham. Next play, you get the, the Bennett sack, where Bennett is able to work free. Uh, Dak's pocket movement and ball security is frantic and loose, so they're able to get the uh, the strip sacks there. They, they get off the field. Uh, great job by Graham and Bennett to get what was a key stop. Where the scoring kicked off was the fourth quarter, the 28-yard touchdown to Amari Cooper, 7.52. It was second and five at the Eagles' 28, of course, his 28-yard touchdown. Uh, so this is when it kicks off for Dallas. Eagles are just playing some cover one man here. And Sidney Jones is in off coverage. He's got bless good, him. He's bless got good cover one man. Here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's able to squeeze Dak and limit that window a little bit. He just—it looks like to me, Ben, that he just loses a step when he looks back, and it's an on-target throw from Dak, who glances left like he's holding the safety, but he snaps back mm. right away. He knows what he's going for the entire time. Uh, the right. next one came four minutes later. Same thing. This time it's Devontae Bosby. Bless him. 
Same process Bless from that. Uh, you know Corey Graham isn't getting over there from the hash. Boss B gets lost in space trying to look back and track, and you've got six points. So deep, decent coverage again until it's time to make a play on the darn thing. So, Ben, uh, you got anything on those two, or do you want to go to the overtime touchdown for Cooper that Rasul plays absolutely perfectly? And it's a dang shame. <laughs> no, yeah, ba- uh, Bosby, 75-yard touchdown. Great play up until it mattered. It's similar to the Rasul Douglas play. He immediately enters uh kick step. Yep. You know, he's got out, he's got inside leverage. He knows the sideline is his friend. Gets his hips turned pretty quickly. He's in phase the entire way. And then he turns around to find the ball <laughs> and he can't find it. And Amari Cooper, like, this is like likely pass breakup because Dak leaves this thing hanging inside. Okay, wait, yeah. actually, let's talk about this. Any safety with two legs should have been able to get here on this play. This ball <laughs> takes forever to arrive. Okay. Like, Cooper, Cooper gets. Bosby stacked when Bosby's trying to find the football, so he gets upfield leverage on Bosby, and then he's got to like box out and kind of wait for this thing to get there. And Corey Graham still has not yet arrived, right? It takes Corey forever to get to this play. Um, but Bosby's in a good spot, and he just can't find it. And when you can't yeah. find it, you lose positioning because the wide receiver can get himself in the right spot to make a play on the ball. Bosby initially has the correct leverage, he has positioning. And then he loses it because he can't locate the football. So dang shame because it's a good process 80% of the way through. The Sidney Jones one, I'll tell you just flat out. If I had no idea who the player was and I had no idea like what his health was at the time, I would watch that corner and go, well, yeah, he's not quick enough to play in the NFL. Because simply Sidney turns to run and, and has no explosiveness, yeah, which drops, absolutely yeah. 100% is a result of a hamstring injury. We know Sidney's an explosive player. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, even after Achilles coming back, he still had incredibly explosive plays. He tries to turn and run with Cooper. And like I said, like, Bosby gets in phase. When a corner's in phase with a wide receiver, they're running at basically the same pace, and the corner's in the hip pocket or a little bit in front of the wide receiver. So in phase, he's able to react to breaks because he's got good positioning, and he's also able to maintain maintain pace uh, on a vertical racetrack. Cindy goes to get in phase and just gets burned. Yep. And it's not because of bad foot placement. It's not because of hip tightness. It's because once Sydney goes to open his stride and run, he has no gas in the tank. And it's because his hamstring is injured. And he gets pulled on the next drive because if you can't run, you can't play corner. You know what yep. I mean? And so it's, a, 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 you know, to make conclusions about Sidney Jones's long-term outlook as a corner in the NFL off of this game is, is to me, right. a bad, bad idea. And now... We've got other data where we can make conclusions like, yo, Sydney needs to get bigger. You know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, you're at a point with this game specifically where given the that he came in a little bit hampered and then he left and then he came back, you simply can't make any big conclusions about him. So there's two more plays that I want to talk about here. One that absolutely breaks my heart uh, and one that I absolutely love. Well, I wouldn't say breaks my heart on the first one. That's uh, It actually makes me very angry. Let's talk about that one, the one I love first. Let's go good news, bad news. Let's talk about the okay, Rasul. I'm really, I'm trying to, okay, I think I've got it. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so try to, try, we'll try to guess what the angry one is. But the one that I love, the Rasul Douglas interception, right, coming from cover three. This is the same ca- concept, that, the one that Dallas runs here. It's the same concept that the Redskins beat the Cowboys on for a 53-yard touchdown to Vernon oh. Davis a few weeks back. Oh, well, Michael Kessler pulling some plays. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> You get, you get the four verticals look with trips to the right and on the nub side, so the tight end in line, nobody outside of him. Instead of going vertical, that tight end presses vertical, but then he goes to an outbreaking route towards the sideline here. Now, 
that's going to leave some space for that deep over route. So what Rasul does, he's he's responsible for for that deep area, and he's also got to keep an eye on that tight end on that outbreaking route. So Rasul is able to get his eyes back to the quarterback. He sees the the deep vertical route coming along his way to his side of the field. He peels off of his deep responsibility, saves a touchdown, gets the interception. Just a gorgeous play. And this is kind of what we were talking about with Douglas. If he's up and down like Mills, but he gives us some ball production, then it is a net positive. And plays like this, it's those that give you hope that he isn't just a dude that can't grasp his responsibilities and freelances too much because this was textbook cover three play. One of the best plays from a defensive back on the Eagles this season. That's how much I like this play, Ben. Absolutely. And 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 what you said there summed it up perfectly, and it's worth saying again. I'm a known Marcus Peters apologist. I love Marcus Peters. It's very hard to stop NFL offense. I don't know if you noticed, Mike, but we're producing passing yards at record-setting rates over the past few years. Yeah. So I am becoming increasingly less interested in corners who potentially, like, oh, they're really sticky in man coverage and they can, you know, cover a guy all the way across the field. Well, apparently not. Like, quarters, quarterbacks are getting more accurate. Wide receivers getting bigger and better crazy catches, you know, and with the way that NFL offenses are spreading the wealth, taking away a wide receiver one isn't as valuable to me anymore. Right. Now, uh, a, a corner who has instincts, size, length, and ball skills. Yeah. Well, now we have the opportunity to create an interception, which if NFL offenses are going to be moving the ball uh, almost at will i i I, give me turnovers don't stop giving me coverage i don't like coverage great okay cool cover the guy tackle him like obviously do that don't throw that away but a guy who can produce some interceptions for me a guy who had eight interceptions his final year west virginia led ncaa that's what i'm talking about right and 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 you know you go in the film it's not just luck stuff douglas is aggressive coming downhill when he's closing on short routes he has you know that catch is a wide receiver catch right like a lot of corners aren't catching that football Douglas got incredibly long arms got good ball skills good tracking to go get that thing absolutely this is, this is what we talk about with with Sewell Sewell can get burned on coverages he probably will I'm okay with that he's not the quickest dude okay if he can do that yeah when you put him in a in a deep third well that's gonna be a problem and that's yeah. gonna be very helpful this is an Eagles defense that is 32nd, we talked about 32nd in big plays, 31st in marginal explosiveness by SB Nation Bill Connolly stats. We needed something. We needed like <laughs> some playmaking ability, and he's got yeah. that. Now, I will say uh, this play has led to a resurgence in Mike, our favorite take. What's our favorite take? Why don't the player with Sewell Douglas to safety, man? Player with yeah. Sewell Douglas to safety. Okay, <laughs> here's the thing. He made the no, play I get for quarterback because... alignment. Yeah. <laughs> I know, he made the play Coming for press. It's crazy. You know, Rasul Douglas to safety. Okay, well, let's, you know, cover three, Jim Schwartz scheme. If he's playing safety, he's either playing the deep middle, which means nobody's really ever throwing, like, near him, to him, right? Like, you know, like, Avante Maddox had, like, one pick from deep middle this year, you know what I mean? Like, Earl Thomas, like, has, like, the best deep middle safety you'll ever find. He never has crazy interception numbers. He has for the position, but not, like, relatively for defensive backs. Because to go get a pick as a deep middle safety, as a center fielder, you gotta get all the way to the hash. And Rasul Douglas is not getting all the way to the hash, folks. His arms are long. They ain't that long. He's not reaching over there. Or... He's playing strong safety, which A, currently is Malcolm Jenkins, and B, is just like man coverage 
on tight ends, which is like what he's doing now, but it's tight ends instead of wide receivers. When you let him play cover three corner, he has the ability to shift from shallow to deep, like Mike was talking about, to rob underneath deep crossers, and to make plays like that where his instincts, his ability to play with his eyes in the in the in the offensive backfield and and, and feel plays out and, and make plays off instinct, which are good strength of his. Like cover three corner lets him do that. You got to understand. We got to. If you want to move him to safety, okay. If you like his ball hawking skills, okay. But understand the scheme, man. This Kiston Solak show, understand the scheme. <laughs> Cover three corner gets the opportunity to make plays that lean on those Rasul Douglas strengths that you want to move to safety. Yeah. So let him stay at corner. Deploy him the correct way. No off-man coverage. Cover three zone. And boy, we're cooking. We're cooking with Greece now. Like, you know, that's what I'm talking about. So understand the scheme, and there's no reason to move Sewell to safety. He can do those things at corner. Ben, what is the play, do you think, the last play I want to talk about here before we be move on and, and get out of here? What play do you think I'm talking about? The, the one that makes me just so very, very angry. Hang on. I'm getting the exact timestamp on it. <laughs> 51 seconds remaining. Fourth quarter. Third and two in the Dallas 38. Am I right or am I wrong? You're wrong, but I do have a note on that. That's where Corey Graham gets called for holding, right, with the tight end. Yeah, that one is is so bad. That would have got us off the field probably because I don't think Dallas goes for it in that situation. Is this the – wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. I think I know the one it is. I have Umbridge with the Blake Jarwin first down, but we can talk about that later. I have Umbridge with the third and nine. Just hurts to watch. Man – versus bunch oh man why man man versus bunch this is not in the same vicinity you liar or is this it's not the fourth quarter i'm sorry it's overtime it's overtime we are enemies i said you you deceitful slanderer though you complained about this on the postgame so i should have known yeah i mean it's bunch rasul douglas playing on the outside against amari cooper has to go through potentially four bodies to get to a shallow crossing route from Amari Cooper. How in the world is he supposed to cover that route? That's what I want to know. How in the world do you have a man coverage on in that situation against that bunch? Ben, do you have any explanation for this? Is This is one of the things that I'm very, very, very upset with Schwartz about. That this would be the key call on 30. I'm even more mad about this than these stupid cover zero blitzes that stopped that stopped working a long time ago for this team on third down. Well, do you want to know why it's man coverage? Because he wanted to blitz. <laughs> he wanted to send five. It's just a cover one blitz, right? If you look, uh, he's got five on the line of the snap. Yep. And usually you would drop one of those guys and only rush four typically the linebacker. You're just putting the linebacker up there to force the shift a certain way to get Fletch Cox one-on-one. Right. Uh, And instead, I'm pretty sure it's Camus. Nope, Mm -hmm. it's Nigel Bradham. Yeah, he sends Bradham. And so that way he's rushing five. Why not get the shift that you want by having him influence the center slide and then having him cut the, have him cut the crosser, which is where the routes are going to come open if you're playing man versus Let him play quarterback spikes. It's third and nine and Prescott can move with his legs a little bit, especially if you're going to play man coverage, you want to have a spy. My favorite part of this is watching Rasul try to run with Amari Cooper. It's <laughs> <laughs> not great. There's 15 yards of separation. <laughs> I mean, poor, he gets he gets bumped guy. immediately. There's no there's there's no right. chance. He's he's beat. I will Dick also rights. say, like, it is worth asking, how long has Cravon LeBlanc been rostered here on this team? Because you're doing your 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 three man coverage guys here 
are Cravon, Corey Graham, and Rasul Douglas. <laughs> which, like, <laughs> whoa, man! You know your season has gone down the pooper when you've got in a key third and nine with the season on the line. Rasul, Cravon, and Corey Graham as your three coverage guys. Can you imagine looking looking in a mirror in, in week one and you looked into a mirror and your mirror gave you the reflection of the still of this play pre-snap? Yeah. And you were like, what is this? But like, who's, what is 34? What's it, why is Denel Pumphrey playing corner? Um, no, but the thing is like, so you do wonder the extent to which, like, oh, if they're going to pass him off, if they're going to go first in, first out, whatever, how good is going to be the communication between safety three, corner five, and corner 11, or whatever LeBlanc is, you know? <laughs> so, right. No, I hear you. I hear you. I'm just saying, like, these are the, the, the considerations that went into that. I'm not going to defend it as a good play call, but just, like, understand kind of what the process is. Listen, I stand by... My take that generally I thought Schwartz called a pretty good game. I think every play, I think you could take every defensive play call he had and point out the rock and the hard place between which he was stuck in terms of like, how did he want to get beat on this play? Was it a quick pass to a tight end? Was it a deep shot one-on-one to Amari Cooper? Was it a light box against Ezekiel Elliott? Like just defensively, they're, they have no personnel. Mike, you know, you, uh, I, I shared it today after the Carson Wentz injury, just cause it made the tweet a little bit funnier. But you can make an entire starting defense out of the Philadelphia Eagles on injured reserve slash currently injured for week 15, hmm. right? Like you have three linemen in Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, and Timmy Jernigan. You have two linebackers in Jordan Hex and Paul Warlow. And then you have six defensive backs in Cindy Jones, Ronald Darby, Jalen Mills, Avanti Maddox, Ronnie McLeod, and Chris Maragos. Yeah. Right? You can literally play dime defense with the Eagles injured reserve right now. Can we? Do you think it would be better? <laughs> I mean, like, you've got Warlow out there, obviously, which is a big problem. I mean, is Marigos that much worse than Corey Graham? Probably not. Oh, I, and for, then I, you've for, got... I forgot that, that Chris Marigos doesn't exist to me because he spat up yeah. that champagne Listen, or, you've or got... whatever happened. Right. Listen, I'm not, and this isn't just their injured reserve. It's also the players who might miss week 15 on a week to week basis. Right. But I mean, we're talking about, you. Would, yeah, I'd much rather start McLeod, Maddox, Jones, Mills, and Darby. Then whatever the heck's about to take the field against the Rams. We got some interesting Oy stuff vey. to talk about with the with the Rams matchup too. Some real interesting stuff. Uh, I, I think they're going to light us up like Chinese New Year. We'll see what happens. Uh, ben, that, that's going to do it for the tapes. I'm ending it right now. We, we've gone long enough with this freaking game. Do you want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Let them know what we have on tap for the rest of the week. Do you know what's on tap for the rest of the week? I do know what's on tap for the rest of the week because <laughs> I've had to plan out the rest of my week aggressively because I'm in finals week right now. Today is Wednesday. This pod is dropping in the afternoon. So if you're catching it on Thursday morning, that's no bigs. Hey, uh, coming down the pipe shortly will be the Los Angeles Rams offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Now, of course, uh, we're going the Rams offense first. Rams offense is very interesting. It's very fun. Also, we don't necessarily know what the Eagles offense is going to look like because we don't know who's going to be taking snaps. So uh, we'll be getting that episode to you Friday, probably around noon, early afternoon as well. Uh, of course, the main BGN radio show will be dropping then as well. And there should be a lot more information on all injuries, but especially uh, the one to Big Bad 11 right there. Rams Eagles play Sunday night football. Going to be a thriller, baby. Really excited for a pissed off Rams team that is fighting for the first seed in the NFC to be in a game against the Eagles. Going to be fun. Uh, and then, of course, Mike and I will be doing the post game show for you guys 
and potentially, uh, you know, talking about playoff scenarios. And if not doing that, then talking about some draft scenarios. It's going to be yeah. a good time. So, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We are uh, very pleased with where we currently rank, Mike, among sports podcasts on iTunes. We are 176. We are top nice. 200 by a comfortable margin, which is super sick. We really appreciate that. It's a lot of fun. You know, you don't see many team-specific podcasts in the top 200, Mike. Right. It's a lot of, you know, general leagues, to fantasy stuff. You know, it's not a, not a lot of team-specific podcasts. So, man... Oh, we're we're honored. We're blessed. We're we're very thankful. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to keep on pushing us up on those ranks, then yeah, uh, subscribe. Make sure you download those podcasts, and then also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And we'll keep on shooting up the numbers. For now, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. We will talk to you tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Please remain calm. Fly, Eagles, fly. Never been. Thank you. I'm going to be extremely (laughs) aggressive, just like I am on the timeline. Oh, my gosh. The Eagles are going to play the Rams on Sunday. Remember when we circled this game in week one? We were like, yo, it's going to be wild. (laughs) We're all going to die. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.